0: All
1: right, Mike, Mike. up to yeah, here. I think We're out out now. Two, three, four. Okay. Well we have six at least. It's a good sign. And I see that it's four ten. Uh you wanna begin, Adam?
2: and pick the other TV LC that go down to the middle. Boom. Okay,
1: it work out. Hey, Mike. Hello, I don't know who's speaking because I can't see.
3: Yeah, thanks, Mike. We're getting our audio correct. Now we can hear you.
1: Excellent. Uh, well, I see it's 411. Uh, I count myself on one, two, three, four five other members. Uh, Is anyone else in the room with you, Adam?
3: Uh, We do have a member of the public here to speak during public comment part B.
1: Well, it is 411, so uh, I'll go ahead and call this meeting to order. Uh, Welcome everyone. Uh, Those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike Wozkowski. I'm chair of the public Trans advisory committee and we're gonna call this to order. Um, I can't remember your name, uh, the lady sitting next to you, Adam, uh, could you go through the uh, rules of engagement and then uh, roll call for committee members, please?
4: Yes, I can. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Andy Lynch, Transit Planner One, Lawrence Transit. Um, with me here is Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. He will work alongside Mike Wozakowski to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Adam and myself will also facilitate the Zoom portion of the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn off your video. You can turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon on the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on when you are participating in the meeting. When you are not participating, it is okay to turn off your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, while gallery view tiles are all the meeting participants. Um, And now I will do the roll call. Lance Fay.
0: Yep, here.
4: Uh, Max Schieber.
0: Here.
4: Mike Wasikowski. Hello, Alan Ackland here. Gregory Critchlow. Bill Wilson. Present. August Rudisell. Here. And Freddie
0: Gipp. Here.
1: Hey, that uh, definitely constitutes a quorum. So this is an official meeting. Thank you everyone for being in attendance. Uh, first item on the agenda then is public comment. Uh, would the uh, person in attendance at the uh, facility like to speak
3: now? And JT, do you want me to go ahead and bring up image? Please
2: do. Will, will, will they have received the print, printing the letter?
3: That I'll have to send to members. Um, I can send them to it now.
2: Okay. Are you when talking,
1: you, um, excuse me, are you talking about the letter that's posted on uh, the agenda from uh, Tuesday, March 8th? No, that there
2: was actually that was actually meant for the steering committee, but there's another one I sent in time today to reach you. It didn't.
1: Okay, yes, I'm I'm gonna, I do not see that on there. So okay, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, that, I'm sure.
2: I'm gonna read it and he's gonna, Show you a picture. My name is John Thornburg. I've been a resident of Lawrence for I don't a lot of years. I've been a cyclist in Lawrence and Douglas County for 22 years, and a supporter and a user of the bus system almost since it began. Usually in conjunction with a bike, but sometimes as a pedestrian with and without crutches and canes and so on and so forth. It should be regarded as a systematic failure that the multimodal transportation transfer facility initial site plan does not designate temporary bike storage for both the bicycle bus slash bus transit user and the same users and staff of the building itself. It is not a detail to be decided later and a qualified consultant should have known this. It is not inappropriate to review the disaccommodation of one mode of transportation that results when another mode is advantaged at the design stage of transportation facilities by either leaving temporary bike storage as a detail to be decided after the initial site plan has been generated or by bicycle parking design incompetence or both. The site plan for the Senior Resource Center, including temporary bicycle storage or parking, located in, excuse me. The site plan for the Senior Resource Center, which was remodeled recently, included temporary bicycle parking located in a blockage of an emergency exit of that building. Three times planning staff told me, and I quote, I am not aware that door is an emergency exit. This single citizen should not have had to go to considerable lengths to get this failed placement recognized, nor should he have been defeated when he challenged the site plan change order, which resulted making the matter even worse. Fortunately, vandalism partially resolved this when it removed one of the posts and loop racks that blocked everyday pedestrian entrance and exit to the senior resource building. The fortunate result, however, was that the emergency egress from the building to the street was restored until Lawrence Transit installed a a bench and trash can blocking it once again you see the pad there where the bench and trash can are now in that picture? Well, on the way to the the building of the long awaited multimodal transfer facility, this bus bike mode user who is just this year has been a user of crutches, a pedwalker, a cane as well. It should not fall again to a single citizen to point out the predictable systematic failure of design to competently address this stuff. Not what you wanna hear, I realize, and you should realize there are things I would rather be doing. Anyone can find fault that I am not one of those people. Thank you.
1: Appreciate your time and consideration. Sure, uh, I I will tell you I definitely prioritize access on that stuff. Um, I was just out of town visiting my niece who has mobility issues as well, and something like that that blocks her ability to walk freely is is a. Big issue because that means they can't get around, and people need to be able to access the world. So, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Um, I
2: appreciate I appreciate all you do. I'm going to leave, but I'll certainly watch this later. Thank but... you.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, does anyone else have anything to add on this? Okay. Um, I'll also note that there were uh, two attachments. Uh, on public comment in the agenda relating to bus route redesign, um, including, uh, one I believe was just an attachment of photos that were intended to be attached to the original email. Uh, so we'll make sure that everyone on the committee has had an opportunity to review that letter. Um, and that at this time solicit if anyone had anything they wanted to, uh, uh comment on regarding this letter. Okay, hearing none. um, We'll take this under advisement in the future. It's definitely difficult for us to figure out how to set up a temporary location in downtown Lawrence, given that we just last year tried to uh, push the City Commission to approve a new plan for a location in downtown that would uh, not be temporary anymore and would be more permanent. And that was tabled and we were asked to bring it back under investigation with uh, public engagement in the future. and There's only so much we can do to accelerate that uh, plan right now, so I regret that it's taken so long for us to get any kind of consensus on what we want to do downtown with a uh, permanent location. The unfortunate reality is we need a transfer location downtown and we can't get rid of what we have right now without a solid plan of what we're going to replace it with so. Uh, Anyway, next item on the agenda then is approval of minutes from the uh, February 14th meeting. Uh, I trust that uh, everyone in the committee has had an opportunity to review the minutes. And as always, I will ask three times if anyone has uh, amendments, updates, et cetera, to provide before we deem them approved by unanimous consent. So uh, first offer. Does anyone have any amendments to offer to the minutes from February's meeting? Second call, does any committee member have amendments to offer to the minutes from February's meeting? Last call, any committee
0: members have amendments to offer?
1: Hearing none, uh, minutes are deemed approved by the committee by unanimous consent. On to our regular agenda then. The uh, first item on the agenda is uh, the uh, recommended fare donation distribution for uh, March. Uh, Adam, I believe you have a presentation for us
3: regarding this. I do, um, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. Bring up presentation here. So uh, twice a year we distribute donated fares uh, based on applications that we receive. We worked with you all to revise that policy to set limits on how much we're able to offer each year and how we handle um, requests that exceed our distribution limits. So we'll walk through, uh, March 1st was our last um, application deadline. and a few different ways we shared those details that's part of what we talked through with this committee was how to best get that information out so all the different social service agencies were aware of their different paths to get uh, access to donated affairs so the the rhythm we've fallen into is we send out notice through a listserv um, run by the united way human services coalition that reaches uh, quite a bit of the social service providers in town. We also directly reach out to anyone who's asked for uh, donated fairs in the last three years. Information was on the website and I list here the 16 organizations that applied for fares. Uh, this time around, 14 of those 16 asked for the maximum amount that was allowed per agency. And we did have uh, more requests than we had available to distribute for this period.
1: Uh, before you continue, I'm curious, uh, how many of those organizations have previously requested disbursement? Uh,
3: that is a good question that I don't have with me here. Um, I'm just looking at this list of names. That
1: a lot I of don't them believe- are familiar to me too.
3: Yeah, as I look at the list of names, I don't believe I see any that have not requested fares in the past. We haven't, um, not everybody requests every period. So I'm not sure that we heard from all these folks in August at our last distribution, but within the last couple of years, I think all these names are familiar to me. Thank you. So, uh, In the middle column towards the bottom, you can see the total amount requested was just over $5,000. Our distribution um, amount, our cap is based on a rolling average of our last three years of fare revenue um, and a certain percentage of that, 2% of that. So uh, this March and this August, we have the ability to distribute uh, just over $3,200 worth of fares at each of those times. Um, and so you can see there's a big gap there. Uh, we essentially, the, the math on this is spelled out in the policy and in the application that, that agencies use, but essentially it's, um, you know, it recalculates what we can actually distribute um, kind of at an order of magnitude level, you know, by, based on uh, requests. Uh, so you see a lot of organizations requesting the, the highest amount that they could, $320 of value, and we're able to give just over 200 Dollars of of passes to those folks. So um, that's the end of the content I have for you all. Happy to answer any questions, but would like um, at the end of this a a motion to approve these distributions so we can get them out.
1: Thank you, Adam. Uh, Do any members of the committee have comments, questions or concerns about uh, this information? So, August or so. I, I just have a question, Adam. I know this is something we started to do this year, I believe, or last year. Prior to that, it was every it was once a year annually. Do you think it's easier to do it with two um, distribution dates or it possibly go back to just having once a
3: year? Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager, it's, it's a little bit tricky and it feels like a moving target. Um, you know, before we did first come first serve, we had a, we had a limit, but it was first come first serve. And the, the concern with that is that some agencies might not need it until later in the year, or it might um, be more impactful in the fall timeframe as opposed to in the spring. So if we've already run out of all of our distributions by then, it, be, it becomes challenging for that reason. Um, you know, in March of 2021, we didn't exceed this much, but we did exceed our distribution limits. And then in August, we were below our distribution limits. Um, you know, we got fewer requests than, than what we had available. So it's, it's a little bit tricky. I'm not sure the right way to get exactly what everyone needs, but our intent is to try to keep some amount of availability throughout the year and not have it kind of dry up um, at the start, I guess the other context I'll add to all of this is that you know part part of this will bleed into our next discussion related to fair free. But next calendar year, twenty twenty three, we um, hope to have a fair free pilot under which this policy won't um, be necessary for that for that calendar year. So th- that's part of the calculus, I guess, on when do we uh, when is the best time to be making changes to this policy to try to meet the need.
1: Thank you, August. Uh, Are there any other committee members or members of the public who have comments, questions about this? Okay, Uh, I do have one uh, question. I you mentioned uh, that we had been under, I think in the uh, August disbursement last year, the September disbursement last year, whichever month we had it in. what did we end up doing with the money that was under the full distribution amount but was still available? Was that
3: just left in the city's uh, coffers for other transit uses? Uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. Yes, that's how that ended up working out. I mean, that was um it was available in case we got additional requests. Um, we did not. So it ended up it's it's a little tricky to call it money, you know, it's kind of like hmm. foregone revenue, so it's not necessarily dollars, but um, but yes, it ended up just not being taken advantage of. Okay. Uh,
1: if we weren't discussing fair free immediately after this, I would consider proposing some sort of amendment to allow money that wasn't dispersed to be rolled over to a following cycle. But at this point, I think it's. Kind of silly, given that we're going to be talking about getting rid of fares entirely. So, uh, anyway, at this time, uh, I would entertain a motion to uh, approve uh, the distributions as proposed in this chart. If any PTAC members I would move like. to approve the distribution as said. Thank you, Lance. Is there a second? Uh, second. Thank you, Max. Uh, Andy, could you go through a uh, roll call and uh, solicit votes from the members?
0: Roll call from members so they can vote.
4: Um, Lance Fay. Yes. Max Schieber. Yes. Mike Wazakowski.
1: Aye.
4: Alan Ackland. Aye. Gregory Critchlow. Not present. Bill Wilson? Yes. August Rudisell? Aye. Freddie Gipp?
1: <laughs> yes. Well, that sounds unanimous. Um, thank you, everyone. So we'll uh, distribute that money or disperse those uh, reduced fare passes, rather. Uh, next item on the agenda, then, which I imagine will take a little bit more time is discussion about our uh, fare free pilot policy. Uh, Adam, again, I believe you have a presentation for us.
0: I do.
3: So Adam Michael, transit and parking manager. Um, I don't uh, anticipate this being our only discussion on fair free. This is a start. Um, I wanted to get a lot of things in front of you all so that we have ample time to talk through this. Um, it is something we um, have planned on budgeting, um, and I can we can talk through some of the impacts of that um, later in the presentation. But ultimately, um, interested in you all guiding our our approach to this and. Um, and it w- will have an impact on us, so i um, in a few different ways that we can we can talk through. So I try to provide as much context and info as I could this presentation, but. Uh, takeaway from this uh, will definitely be if you have other. Areas of data we need to go deeper on or other uh, pieces of this discussion we want to have. Let's uh, get those uh, brought up so that we can um, be able to bring those back in future months to, to keep talking about this. So um, you see some of the, the things we'll walk through, we'll look at our current policy, some of the current costs related to our, our fair collection system, um, some other impacts that aren't directly related to money. Um, some of the reasons why we might even be looking at a pilot uh, beyond there just being community interest. And then uh, we'll talk about some of the budget. OK, so apologize. This is kind of small, but I pulled uh, our, our fair policy, current fair policy from the website so you can see the different fair structure, um, different type of passes we have and um, some of the different reduced categories. On the right side of the screen, you can see on the reduced fare policy, which um, which folks are eligible for essentially that middle column where everything is half-priced. I put in the last four calendar years of fair revenue. So pre-pandemic, we were getting up close to uh, about $440,000 worth of revenue. And the last couple of years, that's been um, uh, trimmed down you know, to less than 300,000 just because of reduced ridership.
1: Before you continue, could you advise on roughly what uh, our total uh, budget is
3: for transit
1: in comparison to this fair revenue?
3: Sure. So uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager in a more typical year, our operating budget is going to be around 14, $15 million. It is inflated um, this year because of the transit facility project and us programming some one time money. Um, you know, we win some electric Bus grants, and that also pushes up the amount of of money in the budget. Um, so there's a couple of things making our current budget of a little over 25 million look a lot larger than it normally does.
1: Thank you. You're still t- just as you're talking about a range of like two to three percent of the typical budget is coming from fares. From the look of
3: it, then. Yes, last couple years. Yes. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Please continue then.
3: Um, A number of months ago, I I asked a lot of different staff who deal with the variety of fare related activities to help me better understand the time and money and different processes we do uh, to handle fare collection. So I list um, a couple of the hard costs on the right side of the screen. So we do uh, pay Brinks around $12,000 annually. They help us move the money from the vaults that are in the fare boxes and the buses to the bank for those deposits. Um, there's also just the hard costs of printing paper passes and, and the number of different paper passes that we print. So the hard cost number is not excessively high, you know, $16,000 in the grand scheme of things. Um, the larger impacts are uh, operationally are going to more so be on the left side of the screen. You see some of the different Um, Activities that result in staff time, significant staff time. So, um, you know, coordinating with Brinks for those pickups and drop offs, uh, coordinating with grocery stores to make sure they have the paper passes they need and uh, collecting sales from them. Um, The process we just walked through for our fair donations, but also distributions to the Lawrence Community Shelter, which has a separate process. there are agencies that just bulk purchase passes from us, um, you know, to distribute to their clients. So there's administrative work related to that. Um, certainly financial, just processing of, um, of payments that are coming in. Everything related to printing paper passes. So getting multiple bids and, um, you know, developing the new uh, artwork or the new color scheme we use on each pass. And then a, a big one that you see here is related to bus operators and just the, the number of hours. This is a the best estimate we could look at. But this is this really aggregates just a lot of five second, 10 second um, interactions that bus operators have with people who board the bus at you know all of our different stops. So check that the right amount of money is going in the fare box or check a pass that someone is holding up um, or validate that they're eligible for half fare by them showing you know a a different form of id all those little interactions at at boardings related to fares um quickly add up when you have so many trips annually so i did keep those separate you know i wanted you know operationally looking at what operators deal with that 600 hours estimate um wanted to at least show that as a, a a different bucket than the the 480 hours that's more of our small internal staff team, you know, working on bulk of the other pieces. Um, I, I guess I just talked through the the item on the left here. So just, um, you know, each boarding operator interaction with passenger related affairs, fares um, and, that, and just the extra little time that takes. Um, Another important piece, I guess the, the other piece I'll mention on that is, um, is just that it can affect on-time performance. Um, you know, one of the reasons why uh, for so long it has been free to step on a bus on campus is that when you have a sheer number of people getting on and off of those buses, um, you know, the added time for an operator to check everyone's student ID and everybody who's a, um, a city resident putting money in the fare box can can really add up time when you're doing that for. For forty people straight, so um, on-time performance can be impacted by by fare collection. The other item on the right side of the screen I want to bring up um, is is the fare box is the most frequent place where operators uh, have the possibility of conflict with passengers, um, and you know anything we can do to you know the operators have a lot on their plate. Um, when it comes to, the, to driving a bus and the customer service and, and um, working with people. So I just highlight that that, uh, that interaction can uh, can sometimes be challenging. Okay, so the next several slides are looking at some of the different reasons we might consider uh, fare-free. Um, I start with one that is, um, there's one we hear a lot from the general community. Um, you know, just about fare free being a more equitable way for, for everyone to have access to, to transportation. Um, I bring up a couple of points related to that. Um, you know, we do have a sales tax that that is our local source of funding that we use to match state and federal grants. Um, just inherently sales tax is a regressive tax, meaning it, it um, impacts people who are low income more so than people who are high income. Um, so there's just, there's equity, equity concerns there. And then I highlight kind of this user fee conundrum. Um, you know, toll roads is an example where someone in a an automobile um, does kind of pay at point of use, but all the local streets that the vehicles are on uh, throughout the year are funded from property and sales tax, go into the city's general funds to maintain and um, and manage those roads. Um, you know, if, if I'm pulling out of my driveway, I'm not asked to also pay a quarter to you know, or a dollar to to jump on a road in my car. So, I just highlight that difference between a couple of different modes of transportation um, and it being one more thing that that makes transit just a little bit harder and driving a car just a little bit easier to not have that extra payment piece. A lot of other agencies, you know, coming out of COVID, um, fare free can certainly be a mechanism to get people back riding the bus. So I just um, put a a few stats up here. You know, we are still on the city routes at about 60% of ridership before the pandemic. Um, You know, it has been steadily climbing, but we've, uh, it's, it's, uh, it came very quickly back from, around 30, 40% up to 60 and is, has not been moving as quickly. So, um, fair free can certainly help recover some of that. Uh, some of the academic studies related to fair free have shown some pretty significant increases when that happens. Um, in some cases up to 50%, 25 is more what we tend to hear from some of the empirical examples. And um, again, I mentioned just uh, in, in trying to make, Accessing transit an easier thing to do. Um, I just mentioned that you know having to pay fare and also having to have exact fare is uh, just one more barrier that that can prevent people who may be um, you know more casually interested, more more choice riders, from hopping on the bus uh, if they have to think about where am I going to go get a paper pass. How do I use the mobile fare payment to access? Um, how do I find an exact dollar? You know, that, those sorts of things can dissuade people. You know, a lot of the work the city is doing now is, is certainly very focused on the strategic plan. You know, we're we're continuing to build this um, plan out more with more specificity around how we're going to move some of these progress indicators. I've put a couple of those indicators up on the screen. Um, and what sorts of strategies and activities can we do to actually make a difference? Um, so a couple of them that I put up, uh, I do think would be uh, impacted by fare free policy or pilot, pilot program. Um, the first one just being the Percent of residents satisfied with their transit experience. I think, again, just making that easier for people to hop on and hop off would improve that satisfaction level. And the other progress indicator, which can be very difficult to move, um, rising gas prices can be (laughs) effective in in moving this needle, but uh, so can making, you know, making transit uh, free. So the percentage of trips um, that people are taking that are not in an automobile, I'll hesitate before I go to the next slide by saying, you know, a lot of what we talk about in this group is towards these ends, right? When we're trying to improve bus stop infrastructure and trying to uh, build a transit facility and add routes and um, bring quieter buses, you know, to the system, a lot of that is in pursuit of moving these two needles. So, fare free would just be another thing.
1: Adam, before you continue, uh, could you remind us what, if we have any metrics and what they are for the uh, percentage of trips not taking an automobile, how we collect that information?
3: Sure, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, we currently collect that information through census or the American Community Survey data when we're outside of census years. So we are right at about 25% um, for, um, for the city of Lawrence, Thank so we follow there's a there's a certain commute number um, that we look at. All right. so I, I talked through some of this before too, but um, you know again, fare free just allows uh, people getting on and off the bus to not need that extra step of um, of verifying if people are eligible for reduced fare. Um, answering questions about fare, uh, just the hesitation people have of pulling money out of their pocket or a pass out of their pocket and putting it into the fare box. Transfer slips is something we haven't talked about before, but that is fare related, right? So if someone is is going from one bus to another today, uh, we don't ask them to pay the fare again, but they have to stop and get a paper transfer slip from the bus operator, which can take 20, 30 seconds to fill out. Um, which can make a difference when it's repeated over and over again. So all those things would be improved um, with fare-free. I bring back some of the the impacts we looked at earlier of our current system of collecting fares and just the the time gained back, um, small amount of money gained back. You know we certainly have a lot on our plate, and I think the um, Efficiency we're able and the speed we're able to execute projects suffers in part from the hours dedicated to this. So, um, you know, certainly some of the the things we work towards, we would have more bandwidth to, to handle project wise. Okay, so there's a good amount going on on this slide. So, I do want to talk about budget impacts. We talked a little about those percentages of operating costs. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, it was around 6%, um, but the last couple of years, it's been more like 3% is, is what we're getting from fairness So very, very small amount. <laughs> there is still some uh, uncertainty related to the infrastructure bill. Um, we know that uh, formula fund dollars at, in the broad sense have increased, will increase by around 30 to 34%. So those are dollars that we get from the federal government um, based on our population, population density, ridership, um, factors that the feds just look at a certain formula and give us money so long as we have our local match to support it. Those funds are likely to increase, we hope, by 30 or 34%. We hope we kind of track with the overall percentage increase in the infrastructure bill. That could very well help us cover um, this cost just by those those increases. Um, I just talked about formula funds, but but gaining additional ridership does help in that formula. So if we get more people riding the bus, that should result in um, greater amount of formula funds. I mentioned here that, you know, if we do see an increase in those formula funds, Um, That that may impact uh, beyond the the pilot year if we would need to consider fare free as a either or with reduction of service. Um, my, My final bullet gets to the point of how we can afford to do a pilot year without reduction in any services because of. Uh, more than 11 million, more than 11 half million dollars, we we received from both CARES Act and American Rescue Plan funds um, in 2020 and 2021. So the intent with a 2023 pilot year would be to um, use some of those funds to cover the gap in what we would have gotten from fares. So in our case, it's right around probably around 300 thousand and see the impact of, of fare free service without having to reduce frequency or reduce a route or uh, reduce span of service, something like that. If we um, don't see an increase in formula funds and we aren't able to identify an increase in funds from somewhere else in city budget to cover the cost of fair revenue, then we would be faced with the decision about um, do we bring fares back to keep service levels the same or do we keep it free and reduce service levels to accommodate that, that lost revenue? I think um, we have some time before we w- we can need to cross that bridge. Um, I do think there, there may actually be merit on both sides of that argument, but um, we're probably a little bit over our skis to talk about that particular scenario just now. Um, until we would get through a pilot and, and kind of see the impacts on service. I just wanted to put that out. I Actually might pause here just cause there's a lot of um, significant or dense information on this slide. Are there questions budget related that anybody has? Yeah, I'd like to open this up to
1: PTAC members if anyone has any particular comments, questions, or concerns about budgetary issues relating to fare free
2: Al Ackland, PTAC member. Um, When you look at the numbers and the ridership increases, does that then therefore increase the the cost to provide that additional ridership? And is that detailed someplace?
3: Adam Michael, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, That's a great question. It would increase our costs um, if we had to add more service to the network, right? So I don't think we anticipate Um, increase in ridership. Needing to drive more fixed route service. I think we feel like there's ample capacity and we can put um, you know, we're about to get five additional 40 foot electric buses. So if we need to transition some routes with small buses to larger to handle that capacity increase, I think we feel relatively comfortable about that. The one place though that may in fact do what. what you are speaking to is paratransit. You know, that is an on-demand service. If, um, if fixed route service is free, paratransit service must be free. Um, federal rules dictate that it, paratransit cannot cost more than two times your base fare for fixed route. So if our fixed route's free, paratransit must be also. And that's a number of trips we can't control. Right, we were were responsive to demand of those trips. So it is possible that those increase. Uh, We're just not sure by how much, Um, you know, it's unlikely that there's a number of people who are eligible for paratransit who aren't trying to use it today. So it would maybe be more um, of a concern that existing users would maybe take additional trips because they wouldn't have to worry about the affordability piece. Um, but that's something that we, I don't know how we best project without seeing some version of a pilot to kind of show us how that would change. But you are correct that, that that's a place where we could see some additional costs of providing service.
1: Thank you, Alan and Adam. Uh, do any other PTEC members have comments, questions or concerns about budgetary I, issues? Let me ask a Vice
5: Chair and Um I have a, both a question and a statement. Um, I'm questioning uh, the nightline service and I'm kind of assuming that that would fall into the same situation as paratransit under fare free uh, in what you would anticipate that looking like. Um, it's a pretty small slice of the pie, but worth looking at. Uh, also, I just overall, I'm a big supporter of uh, the fair free transit uh, across the board and given where we're standing right now and where we see things going in the next couple of years, I think where there's a will, there's a way. I think this could work really well. And if you look at what some other systems have done and There's just recently been an article about the Kansas City, Missouri bus system doing a pilot, uh, fare free thing, and they've seen some positive impacts. I I just really think it's the right way to go. So uh, question and uh, statement
1: made. Thank you Lance. Uh, Do any other members of PTAC have comments, questions or concerns?
3: Adam Michael, Transit and Parking Manager. I'll step through here. Um, uh, I, actually, I,
1: guess... I wanted. To, I was waiting to see I have... before I commented. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't want to step on anyone else's toes. Um, the The big thing that I have a concern about is that fourth bullet that you have there with the trade off of service or infrastructure reduction versus fares. Um, I, I definitely appreciate the notes that you put in there about ridership increasing. And that's absolutely true from every study that I've seen of cities in America, as well as cities outside of America that have gone to that have foregone collecting fares. They have all seen for the most, at least 25% increases in Europe. I think the numbers have been way more than that, but uh, the, uh, thing that I would caution on is the numbers that I've seen from a lot of these rigorous studies of uh, fare free pilots in other places have shown that it's not necessarily the uh, people who are all who are using personal vehicles and, and whatnot that are changing their mind and now saying I want to use the bus because it's fare free. It tends to be. People who have not who are not using any personal conveyance of any kind, as in they're walking or they're using bikes uh, or something else that is not a uh, automobile to uh, get around and. That's not to say that increasing ridership in that way is important. But when one of our uh, strategic plan objectives is how many rides are people taking using something other than a personal vehicle, if the only people that we're pulling in are people who aren't already using personal vehicles to get around, then we're not really benefiting a whole lot. What I've seen in terms of studies is that the benefit is primarily to the people who don't have to pay the fares. And then if you want to increase ridership elsewhere and convince people to not not use their personal vehicles, but to use buses instead, you really have to increase your service, make it more reliable, make it more frequent, which I mean, We did talk about the idea of not having to stop and tabulate 40 people's worth of fair contributions in the box when you stop, Uh, that would definitely improve it, but. I, I worry about this idea of. We want to look at what fare free does, and then if we don't have the money after this, we're just gonna go back and we're not really going to meaningfully improve our strategic objective of driving people to use the public transit system if we don't keep our focus on keeping service regular, keeping service reliable for people. So, that would just be my one caution on that. Otherwise, I am 100% in favor of fare free. It, to me, it makes no sense to charge people who have very little money to uh, be able to ride. I, I look at that fare revenue and I see that that's money that could go back into our economy, into businesses. Uh, that's $300,000, $400,000 a year that someone could spend. Well, not someone that residents could spend at our businesses going out to eat, buying uh, whatever household goods they need, getting groceries, uh, hardware, whatever they need to fit. I, I would much rather our residents have that money available to them to spend as they see fit, as opposed to making them put it in our fare box when they take a
0: ride. Uh,
5: as Vice Chair, I'd kind of like to respond at or add on to that um, as a, a regular bus rider and what I've observed um, as far as what the perceived increase in ridership is and how that reflects on our automobile community. Um, I wouldn't stress too much on that, uh, in that um, we the people that have access to their own vehicle are still going to use it regardless of the the bus fare. Uh, we live in a car, a car culture. I think also, if you look at the amount of budget that this it, it works with, I don't see how it would be a significant risk to regular um, route availability and, and service levels. I, there'd have to be a perfect storm of things not working out well for that to happen. Uh, I also see the great benefits of not having those frequent uh, delays due to people dealing with putting their fare into the bus, asking questions about it or um, getting transfers and waiting to get on and off the bus. And I, I see so many advantages to this the amount of revenue that would be lost here is pretty negligible. And I think that we have the means and the ways to work with it. Uh, and I, I, I hesitate to stress too much about our car driving public. Uh, if anything, a lot of smaller trips within our existing routes uh, that may be uh, particularly on, on uh, heavy uh, crowd days, game days, other type of event days, if people know they can ride the bus for free to get downtown or near campus, you're gonna see more people willing to do that if they don't have to worry about a fare. And so I, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on, on what Mike was talking about there and say, you know, here's here's the advantages. and I, I would play down the concerns about the car driving public. They're gonna be there no matter what.
1: Thank you, Lance. I do appreciate that and it, it for me, it's more my paranoia of you know we one of our goals is to make our bus system work better for everyone. And the idea of we have to choose between foregoing fares and making buses work well is just something that I keep in mind. I appreciate your uh, thought on that not being an issue though. So thank you.
6: This is Margareta DeFries from KU and I, you know, we have experience at KU going fare free in 2008, and I think that a lot of the concerns that there are about capacity and how many more people there might be on the bus, I'm. this is an anecdotal story, not a case study, but we had, um, on average, across all of our routes when we went fare free, we had a 100% increase in ridership. That was mostly on the on-campus circulators. So we did have to add a little service on the people going back and forth from Daisy Hill and GSP Corbin. But on the off-campus routes, every single one of our routes was able to absorb a significant increase in ridership uh, without adding any buses because of how much space there is on the bus. So I don't think that you're going to have nearly as large a problem on routes as you are going to have on T-Lift.
1: Thank you, Margretta. Just out of curiosity, what happened to ridership after that pilot ended?
6: Well, KU is still fare free, so that oh, is perfect. not a pilot. <laughs> we, you know, KU students are riding all the buses by just showing their Ku ID card. We had an increase in the Required campus fee that was voted on in 2008, the same year that the city voted on the sales tax, and it passed by the same margin as the city sales tax about 70% in favor. And we've been fare free ever since for campus. And we had we did have to increase service on Route 43, and we stayed up uh, near um, you know, we count the ridership together with the city, and the ridership came up to about 3,000 rides a year altogether. And we were at 2.7 in FY20 right before the pandemic. And this discussion about the ridership has dropped quite a bit and not come back during the pandemic is true on campus as well.
1: Thank you, Margarita. Well, unless I'll give one last opportunity for uh, PTAC members to chime in. Otherwise, I think everyone's had an opportunity. So uh, does anyone else have any further comments, questions or concerns?
3: Particularly interested if I just threw the question up on the screen, but. um, If there's any thought about other things you would like to see in future discussions about this, or if you want to sit on that and. Um, and bring it up at a later time.
1: Uh, I'll chime in. The only thing I would want to say is how is this going to play in with the uh, route redesign? Because um, knowing that we're going to be uh, kind of rejiggering the paratransit to you to be available as microtransit for everyone, um, that we're going to have different fixed routes. That, The interplay between all of those kinds of routing decisions might have something to do with what we can make fare free, what we prioritize as being fare free. Um, But we don't necessarily have it have any information on what routing we want to use at this time quite yet, so something to table for the future. Uh,
5: Lance May Vice Chair, I think I would like to here, a little more detailed information as to how paratransit and nightline would work into a fare free system. Uh, some, you know, some ideas and how you
3: make that work. OK. I will, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, I will, since um, Mike, you brought up uh, Route redesign, you know, that's we, we talk about gaining back ridership. There's there's another good reason to do the, the pilot in January with routes changing so much. You know, if people um, are needing to learn a new system and, and changing routes. It can ease that transition if someone accidentally hops on the wrong bus. Doesn't have to pay twice um, to find their way back to the, the right way. Um, so that's just something else to think about. And then I do, I don't know if we have anybody from the public on this call, but let's just keep in mind if you, um, mm-hmm. if you want to open up for any public comment.
1: Agreed. After so. um, I do see uh, travel Tra- Tra- Taylor, one of the uh, operators on the call. Uh, travel do you have anything you want to add?
3: And Dre is, um, just to clarify, Dre is our uh, mobility manager. Apologies Um, about the title. Sorry, I I misidentified you. But yeah, I don't see anyone else. I thought we had some earlier.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you everyone for a fruitful discussion on this. I look forward to hearing more about it in the future as we get closer to actually being able to implement this. Uh, Next item on the agenda, then, is the summary of public engagement about the multimodal transfer facility. Uh, Once again, Adam, I
3: believe you have a presentation for us. Thank you, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So, um, timing worked out well to bring some of this information to you. So, before I launch into this, we are preparing to update the City Commission on the progress of the project at uh, next week's commission meeting, uh, March 22nd. So we'll be providing an update um, that includes in part this information, but um, also gives just more updates on timeline, latest uh, site plan floor plan renderings, that sort of thing. So um, keep that in mind and hope you can join or watch after. So uh, we'll walk through what our latest round of engagement for the facility looked like um, and what we heard from it and where we think we need to go. So as far as what we um, showed people, this was between uh, February 16th and March 4th. So a little less than three weeks. We put out the latest information related to the site plan, the building floor plan and 3D renderings. We wanted to better understand from the public um, a few different things. Um, you know certainly does this does the site have the sorts of elements and services that you would expect and um, does it look the way you would expect or the way that you would hope and uh, gain information about access you know if you're accessing the site by a bus or on foot or using a bike um, or an automobile how, how, how does that look to you how does it feel? I'll put that a little bit in context in that you know, for this, uh, as this project was starting, April 2021, we went out to the public with, simil- with similar questions, but before anything was drawn on paper. So to try to gain, um, kind of revive our understanding from 2018 about what sorts of things people wanted out of the project. Uh, in June through August of last year is when we were prepping all the concept images for city commission to help provide guidance there was more feedback at that time so this is uh, the latest round and and um, one of the the last times before construction that we can get uh, a gut check from the public about the main site at least still work to do downtown as far as getting that information out um, I mentioned, yeah, February 16th to March 4th, we had the online survey available on Lawrence Listens. We did a number of tabling opportunities, um, meaning us, you know, staff out at a table with the materials, talking with people and taking their comments. All of those comments were inserted into the online survey so that we could consolidate everything we heard from people. This is, you know, one of the best ways that we get. Rich feedback is just being out at the bus platform, talking with passengers, going out to our transit facility to talk with bus operators and going on to campus to talk with students. Um, you know, we certainly have other avenues that we that we try and, and we'll have a lot of upcoming engagement related to route redesign that, um, that uses a, a number of different strategies, but these uh, are really ones that we have a lot of good conversations and understand uh, what people are looking for we pushed information about these opportunities through social media through the website um, press release these are the three questions that we asked people in the survey so we asked about access um, you know what do you think about pedestrian bicycle automobile access to and from the site what do you think about the uses? So when you look at the building floor plan and the type of things planned to happen inside the building and/ or out on the platform, do those uses look like what you would expect or what you want to see? Um, you know we heard some from uh, gentleman Mr. Thornberg tonight about desire for more short-term bike parking. Um, that's one of the things we heard through, through this process and then aesthetics was the last question what do you think about the look and feel of the building but also the landscape around it and uh, you can see on that third question some some concerns definitely with a larger um, amount of negative or concerned responses so just want to share some of the things that stood out there were other things that that came up but these were a few of the um Comments that we heard more than once or several times from from different folks. And I will say that we're working with our consultant to see what what we can do to to try to meet people's expectations a little better on these. The first comment is related to restrooms. So um, this facility is planned to have four restrooms inside, two that are exclusive for bus operator and staff use, and then two that are for the general public, just off the waiting room. Um, That is one that's going to be a real challenge for us to accommodate is adding additional restrooms. Um, It's just based on the footprint and the different other activities that we have in there. Um, We're we're looking at what we can do, but that's one, you know, we'll we'll, we'll have some additional conversations with First Transit and our operations um, to, to really understand use. I think we, you know, there's programmed to be eight routes coming into this facility, you know, based on our operations downtown where there's eight routes, we don't necessarily observe every 30 minutes or every 60 minutes, all bus operators coming into the restroom at one time. Um, Usually it's a little more, uh, you know, sporadic, or there'll be a few maybe um, at any one trip. So that's something we just need to talk about operationally. Second bullet, you know, that a lot of folks interested in solar and can we put that, can we put solar panels on the main building, on the smaller um, awnings right next to the building, on the large canopy out at the bus platform. Um, At the current time, that's something we are planning to set ourselves up for uh electrically so that we're kind of ready to to add solar panels at a later date if we can afford it but currently are not um able to afford that piece of the program there's also at you know at next week's city commission meeting our our consultant can speak to this but i think for the amount of space that we have to put solar on the bus platform canopy and the small building awnings Uh, is just not going to be a substantial amount of power Um, you know we certainly might be able to provide power for like lighting that's outdoors but um the main facility itself which has the largest roof is not structurally able to handle solar panels on it and that's kind of the biggest uh, flat space that would be available for it so there's kind of a, a push and pull there of um you know, is it worth the cost based on kind of the ROI or the, you know, what, what we expect to be able to power with that certainly aren't, wouldn't be able to power the the majority of use of the building, you know, the, the actual power we would use for the operations there. So again, that's something that will, it, it may in fact be a question for commission on, if, if we, if we can't afford it in the budget, is there appetite to find additional budget from somewhere else to include it at this time versus, um, kind of like I said, setting ourselves up for it to be added later. Do you have a thought on that?
1: Mind? Yeah, uh, actually, I just wanted to chime in and remind everyone that last year in June, the uh, city commission appro- approved it, a the city entering an agreement with Evergy to purchase approximately 98 of its 98% of its energy use from uh, wind sources from a big wind farm somewhere in Kansas for 20 years. So uh, I definitely respect the request for solar power. I love solar power. On the other hand, we're already almost 100% in compliance with our strategic goal to have all of our uh, public facilities use 100% clean and renewable energy already. So I'm with you on we need to figure out what the best use of our money is. And given that we're already meeting that goal, solar might not be worthwhile here.
3: Yeah, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. Um, and And that's a good point. It's, you know, it would be, it would not necessarily help us move closer to that goal of using renewable energy. It would be kind of, in addition to that, it would be we'd be producing energy, which is not necessarily that that goal that we've set out. But um, I, I can certainly understand the community interest and all, all things equal, we'd love to do it. We may just not be able to afford it, um, at least to start. The other, um, the third bullet here is is not dissimilar from the one above it in that um, it will come down somewhat to cost. So the North facade of the building and honestly the building itself, uh, we, we really don't have much flexibility to change the shape of it. Right, I mean, it's a we are reusing a facility, um, kind of a warehouse type facility, and you know just the structure of that limits us on um, on some of the aesthetic things we can do on the exterior. We we need to learn a little bit more on on some of these comments. If it was more about color, you know, the renderings show a, a relatively gray um, siding color. I think part of that. Intent was to try to um, match or have it seem somewhat seamless with the existing KU building that will remain just to the east, and not necessarily have a hard break, uh, kind of a difference in um, in materials there. Um, you know, and initially there was we had some uh, discussions with KU about you know would you be willing in the future to maybe do a mural project or something like that 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 um, wouldn't require additional. Structural support on the north side, but could maybe make it a little more interesting than a larger uh, gray wall. So that's something we you know what we're having discussions about. We're very limited on like architectural things we can do on the north side. You know, adding. Half of a wall that has limestone or brick is is not. Feasible with the with the structural way that's set up, so it's really about kind of the panel that we'll use and how interesting or aesthetically pleasing can we make that panel. Um, So those are some of the things we'll um, that that we hear from people and are are trying to meet their their concerns. We heard, you know, again, public comment tonight. Some folks still interested in in the. how bicycles will access and be able to park in different places is still a concern and we have got some flexibility to work through some of that. Maybe all before I move on, is there any thoughts, questions related to these items or others?
1: Agreed. Uh, Do any other PTAC members have anything to add on or ask about these three bullets here?
0: Any members of the public anyone in the
1: room there's not no okay let's continue then
3: okay. so uh adam weigel transit and parking manager so some of the next steps i mentioned the march 22nd presentation to commission so i encourage you all to watch that either um Live or after the fact, it's a uh, they're receiving the presentation. We're not necessarily asking for a, a, a vote on anything at this stage. We will have a few policy questions for the commission to help guide us. Um, like I mentioned on some of these things that might cost more, kind of what direction do we want to go? We did uh, through Porter and his group uh, present the. Um, a brief presentation about the public art component of this project to the Cultural Arts Commission last week. Um, they did not take action on that. We've got a little work to do to develop the final uh, budget and contract with that artist. So at the April, let me get the state right, I believe it's 13th. The April 13th Cultural Arts Commission meeting is when they will take action and recommend to the City Commission a contract, an artist for us to engage with as part of this project. Um, so I would encourage you if um, if you haven't seen that to uh, um, maybe check out the YouTube recording of the Cultural Arts Commission on on the 9th from last week, it should be on our YouTube channel and give you an idea of what uh, where the art component direction is headed um, it's some different a few different places within the site, uh, incorporating some glass elements. Um, But happy to answer questions about that as well. Uh, I mentioned, you know, we'll try to incorporate what we're hearing from the public into the final design as best we can, and still aiming for uh, us to have bid documents um, going out by the end of April. Um, Construction would begin this summer, ideally. That's what we're aiming for. The building and its floor plan uh, is going to be in a separate bid package. We've got some more review work to do on that. Uh, The site itself is farther along. So trying to push out the site as fast as we can while feeling comfortable with its components so that we can make sure, um, you know, concrete is where we need it to be for buses to move on and off the site come January. I think that's the end of... Um, this content, so happy to answer questions. Anybody has.
0: Any P-TECH members have anything to add?
1: That sounds pretty dispositive. Uh, thank you, Adam. So that uh, takes up all of the main agenda items for tonight. Uh, next item is uh, anything from PTAC members. So first off, uh, reminder that if you have anything you want to uh, bring up at a, as an agenda item, you're free to email Adam Lance and myself and ask us to add that to the agenda. Uh, otherwise, you now have the ability to uh, solicit our uh, input on anything if you want at this time. Uh, Hearing nothing, uh, let's go on to the uh, pedestrian plan update. Uh, Lance, do you have anything to add about the pedestrian plan? I really don't
5: this month There hasn't there's if you go to the Douglas County MPO, there's there's some overall information and surveys you can look up and respond to. But there really isn't anything specific that I have to share other than that.
1: That's fine. Thank you very much, Lance. Um, barring that, the next uh, set of items is transit staff updates. Uh, Adam, looks like you have
3: a couple things to uh, discuss with us. You. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, um, read an update on electric buses. So things are progressing with that project. We have charging infrastructure that's going in right now out of the facility. Um, we expect first bus to be arriving uh, sometime in April, um, you know, with supply chain and, and uh, different challenges these days. Every every couple of days, we're getting an update on something that is maybe a day behind or a couple of days behind. So we're keeping our eye on that. Um, you know, the, the timing slipped a little bit. I think we were in prior schedules planning to have, um, you know, charging infrastructure all the way in, maybe in February with buses starting to arrive in March. So we've moved a little bit because of supply chain issues, but we're, we're mostly on track. Um, So I'll keep you all updated. We hope that um, sometime maybe in April might be more of a challenge now, but maybe in May um, or June is when we'll have the ability to uh, unveil one of these in a a public way, thank all of our partners, allow people at the very least to uh, step on and off a parked vehicle, but ideally get uh, some of our training uh, underway quickly so that we can have a bus operator uh, you know, drive people around a little bit on these electric buses pretty early on in the process. So, um, still aiming for that this spring, and and uh, still planning on having them incorporated into the fleet by fall. Uh, any thoughts or questions related to electric buses?
1: Uh, I'm just curious, what kind of special train you think is needed compared to operating uh, the buses that we have today?
3: Yeah, there's uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. There's training related to the charging system itself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the physical act of plugging the plug into the bus, of course, you want that to go well. But then all the, the back end, um, you know, system that manages that and making sure everything is looking appropriate. Uh, there is, you know, there is driver training because electric buses have regenerative braking um, it can depend how a bus operator drives an electric bus on how much range we get out of it. So um, it may not be too far off from what some operators already experience driving hybrids that we have. Those have a, a similar system. So um, for some of our operators it might not be too foreign, but um, so there's, there's some training related to, to that as well.
1: That's understandable. Definitely the the, uh, plug-in stuff I see as being relevant because especially my experience with using fast chargers, it's unfortunately not completely straightforward how to get it to fully connect and make sure that it's actually supplying electricity into the vehicle.
3: Uh, I think I heard someone else commenting. That might have been me. I was just trying to squeeze in, uh, you know, safety training as well. You know, all the all the major things related to a high voltage system um, for both our maintenance staff and our operators, just being schooled in that. Yeah, let's not get anybody electrically shocked and killed, please. <laughs> all right, um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager for route redesign. Uh, we did have a. Um, route Resign steering committee meeting on the 8th. That's also recorded and on the project website. Um, we plan to start our public engagement for the final scenario on the 21st, so next week from today, and we'll be running that public engagement through April 29th, the end of April. So we'll have a lot of different ways we're getting that information out. There will be an online survey. There'll be a lot of Route by route information on the project page. Um, this last week and into this week, we're doing a lot of our booking of uh, kind of targeted stakeholder groups. Some of the neighborhood associations, Haskell, uh, some of the student apartment complexes that will be impacted. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, unique stakeholder groups that we want to try to target and make sure we have you know, conversations that matter to them. So. Um, We're excited to get out and start that. I think um, we're in a a good position as far as how we're gonna show people the material and maps and different things. Um, And just excited to get going. So I don't know if, I guess the other thing I'll mention with route redesign, you know, in a typical annual route changes year, we would be bringing uh, proposed changes to you all, usually around the March timeframe. Uh, Usually in April or May is when we're getting your uh, stamp of approval for the final planned route changes. Kind of the the small changes we made after public comment. And so we're thinking about doing a a similar thing this time around in that in May we should be prepared to bring the final planned uh, changes to you all based on you know anything we heard out of the public comment period and would want your um, Input and approval for that to, to move forward. I think it will make sense for us to invite and include the steering committee as well to that discussion in May, um, as they've been following the project. And, um, you know, August and Freddie have been involved in that, but others in that group too, just bringing different perspectives, I think would be good for this group to, to be talking with them at the same time. So, any thoughts, questions related to route redesign and kind of where that's headed.
0: Any uh, PTAC members have anything
1: to add? Okay, Uh, the only thing I'd say is just as I mentioned the fare free thing, I'm interested in how that interplays with the route redesign as well. So we can definitely discuss that in April and May.
3: I do have uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I know we're at time here. I've got one other thing that um, just came in today, so I wanted to keep you updated. Uh, So unfortunately, we still have not heard back on um, state AIC um, access innovation collaboration grants, but we did hear back that we were not selected for the federal bus and bus facilities grant that we had submitted. We had asked for two additional uh, Proterra electric buses, 40 foot, and uh, we're not awarded that this time around. So um, that probably means that we're gonna turn around and work on the LONO grant that is uh, out for development right now and bring that back to you um, likely next month, I believe next month, possibly be May um, for your uh, discussion and uh, you know letter of, letter of support and that sort of thing.
1: Thank you for that brief update, unfortunate, but uh, you know, they have a lot of people they have or a lot of communities that are bidding for those kinds of grants. So understandable that we can't win every single one of them. Um, it's,
3: hard, it's hard when you go two for two. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, was it? Meatloaf says two out of three ain't bad. So, or he did at least before he died. Um, Next meeting is scheduled for April 11th for this committee. I would definitely encourage everyone to attend uh, the uh, meeting that Adam mentioned next week for the city commission. Uh, I will definitely plan on being in attendance and be available to provide public comment as well uh, regarding the committee's perspective on this. Um, otherwise, uh, I'll give everyone one last opportunity uh, Does anyone have anything they wanna mention. Okay. With that uh, means adjourned. Thank you very much for your time today and look forward to uh, seeing you next month and hopefully next week as well.
0: Good night. Thank you.